Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Agreement reached for healthcare workers who staged the largest strike of its kind two weeks ago. Meanwhile, a new strategy for the UAW in that strike, now over four weeks and counting. Today on the show, the Texas AFT and the Machinists in Maine. Welcome to the Monday, October 16th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Two new folks coming to the show today. We're going to start things off with the Texas American Federation of Teachers, and their president will be joining us. That would be Zef Capo. Zef, a public school science teacher, now president of the Texas AFT, previously served as president of the Houston Federation of Teachers. He served on several community boards, including a six-year term, as an elected trustee of one of the largest community college systems in the country. He also served as a local union leader, central and state labor council leader, community leader, and is now focused on developing local leadership and rank and file leaders across the state of Texas in an effort to move the state to a pro public education majority. And if you know anything about the state of Texas, this is a tall order. Very conservative state. They don't like unions there. And what they do like is vouchers. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about on the show today. The governor of Texas has an agenda that has opened the door for what the AFT calls voucher peddlers to dangle all sorts of carrots or employ any number of smoke and mirror tricks to make their proposal seem less like a scam than it is. Now, according to the AFT, our position has been that public education needs to stay public education. No deal on vouchers, no carrot, no false promise, no negotiated deal is worth the devastation that a private school voucher would inevitably wreck on public schools. Vouchers are a scam. Vouchers are not popular with Texas voters, despite what the governor says. Vouchers are being pushed by billionaire-funded special interest groups that seek to destroy our public education system. And that's pretty much the status quo for anybody that's involved in the union movement, whether it's the American Federation of Teachers or the National Education Association. And you're seeing a lot of states that are just pushing this agenda. Texas and Florida probably at the top of the list. So apparently they uh, convened a third special session in the legislature there, and this is uh, topping the agenda. There's other issues too, but uh, this is definitely one getting the concern of the teachers' unions. Danny Loudermilk will be joining us later in the show, and he serves as business rep for the International Association of Machinists District 4, and that would be Local 1490 in the state of Maine. And here's the story about 22 
Machinist Union members at a northern Maine wood pulp facility went on strike yesterday, and they were joined by 20 millwrights and 38 oilers and steam and water plant operators. The members of the uh, the various unions here, we got the Machinists and the Service Employees International Union, which is 330-3, and the millwrights, local 1121, have all, have all voted overwhelmingly to reject the company's offer and strike for a fair contract. The management, here's what's going on. They're trying to replace millwright, pipe fitter, machinist, and auto mechanic positions with what they call a general mechanic classification. And a number of surveys have made it pretty clear that protecting their core trades is the bargaining unit's top priority. So the IAM filed an unfair labor practice charge with the labor board against the company for refusing to bargain in good faith after management waited until the talks were well underway to reveal its concessionary job classification proposal. And then, then they refused to provide any financial information about how the company is doing. You know, many companies say, Oh, you know what? We can't pay you this amount of money because we're not doing all that well. Okay, show us the books. Well, they're not doing that right now. Danny Loudermuck is uh, quoted as saying, our membership is willing to do whatever it takes to protect their jobs in a community that relies on good union jobs at Woodland Pulp. So we'll get into that with uh, Danny. Hey, while we're talking about the machinists, listen to this. Local uh, 985. This is in Coosa Pines, Alabama. They overwhelmingly approved a new three-year deal with the first pay increase above 35 cents in the history of the agreement. 35 cents. I was wondering, what, 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 what are we talking about here? Well, listen to this. Tier one. I mean, this is a far cry from 35 cents. Tier one in this new deal. $3.50 over three years. Tier two. 575, no takeaways. And they maintain the Machinist National Pension Plan, which is a really good plan. Negotiators were also able to make several language improvements, including paid time off, safety, and health. Now, here's the best part of the story, other than the wages. The entire negotiating committee, all women. The shop is 100% union. That's according to a business rep, Jamie Littlefield, District 75. Jamie said, these ladies worked hard, prepped, and took part in all that negotiating. This is a great win, said local 985 president and negotiating chair, Dana Massey. This contract reflects the respect our members deserve and have earned. The contract would not have been possible without our negotiating team. And she named all the members, all females. <laughs> great stuff there great stuff there hats off to uh, iam local 985 now a brief look into the world of labor this segment brought to you by boyd waterson asset management 17 billion dollars in assets under advisement serving the needs of taft hartley funds corporations public funds endowments foundations as well as religious organizations kaiser permanente and a coalition of unions representing roughly a third of its workforce have reached a tentative agreement 
about two weeks after tens of thousands of workers walked off the job in protest. The agreement announced Friday morning was struck amid escalating pressure from the coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions, which represents more than 85,000 workers at hospitals and clinics. Both Kaiser, which is based in Oakland, California, and SEIU United Healthcare Workers West, the biggest union in the coalition, said they were excited to have reached a tentative agreement. And guess who they thanked? Our acting U.S. Labor Secretary, Julie Sue, for her involvement. This is the second time that Julie has negotiated or helped negotiate a major contract. The first time it was with the longshoremen on the West Coast. And she's still acting because, well, that's another story. Two weeks ago, more than 75,000 employees went on strike in California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Virginia, and D.C. in what labor leaders described as the biggest strike by healthcare workers in U.S. history. In most states, the strike lasted three days, some just a single day. Among a wide range of workers who went on strike were licensed vocational nurses, x-ray techs, surgical techs, phlebotomists, medical assistants, pharmacy techs, respiratory therapists, as well as support staff like housekeepers, food service workers. Workers said they were protesting bad faith bargaining by Kaiser executives as unions negotiate over wages and other issues that labor leaders said had fueled a chronic staffing crisis that strains employees and jeopardizes patient care. Unions also said the raises Kaiser was offering wouldn't keep up with inflation. Kaiser leaders said they were trying to reach an agreement in good faith and argued that the organization had been working to address the effects of a national crunch on health care staffing, successfully hitting a target to hire 10,000 new employees represented by the coalition. Well, days after the strike ended, the unions wanted another, even bigger strike. And they were planning that sometime between November 1 and November 8th. But then again, they reached this uh, contract deal. United Auto Workers will no longer announce new strikes ahead of time. UAW President Sean Fain said this on Friday, meaning the GM, Ford, and Stellantis plants may see workers walk out without warning. Well, nothing has happened since that announcement on Friday. Fain said in a live stream to UAW members that the strike has moved into a new phase, which started last Wednesday when 8,700 workers went on strike at Ford's Kentucky truck plant without prior announcement. That's the most profitable plant that Ford has. UAW has been using a new targeted strike strategy where they pick key facilities to strike at each automaker before the strikes were announced a few hours in advance. Fain said automakers were trying to avoid strikes by making new offers right before His live streams were scheduled on Fridays, but because of this, he said they weren't making offers through the week. This is what Sean said. A negotiation requires both sides making movement. If they're not going to move, we're going to give them a push in a language they can understand, dollars and cents. (laughs) This guy's a fighter. Wow. The uh, San Francisco Public School Teachers Union has announced members 
have overwhelmingly voted to authorize a strike. Union represents approximately 6,500 teachers from the San Francisco Unified School District. The vote follows 10 months of negotiations, comes as the district faces a staffing crisis with a quarter, a quarter, 25% of teaching positions unfilled. That's amazing. Teachers are seeking a $12,000 raise over two years, while the district has approved 10000 So they're getting close. Teachers have also voiced deep dissatisfaction with a new multi-million dollar payroll system that the district rolled out last year. About a week ago, San Francisco custodial and other staff members also voted overwhelmingly to authorize a strike. A second vote is necessary to actually initiate a walkout. And one more here. Last Wednesday, the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, signed legislation allowing retired teachers to go back to work while still collecting retirement benefits. Very common in the public sector. People retire, then go back to work, and it's often called double dipping. Many uh, say you shouldn't be doing that because you're already retired. But in the case of a teacher shortage, what are you going to do, right? All right, we're going to take a quick break. The Texas AFT coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. 
Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. In fact, we'll be hearing from uh, Melissa Cropper, president of the OFT, tomorrow. Today, we're also talking teachers. Let's go to the state of Texas right now and join Zeph Capo. Zeph is president of the Texas American Federation of Teachers, TexasAFT.org. He's a former public school science teacher involved in the union for over 30 years and now president of the Texas American Federation of Teachers. And like many heads of unions, are fighting with the legislature on vouchers and funding. Zeph, welcome to America's Workforce. And you were telling me over the weekend, we chatted a little bit, that you know Melissa pretty well, don't you? I do. She's a wonderful person. I learned a lot from her. Yeah, and I know she's a vice president on the AFT board, and she works very, very closely with uh, Randy Weingarten, who's been on the show a number of times, so you're in pretty good company here, buddy. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. I briefly talked about your, uh, you know, your, your role here as head of the union, but how did you get there? Did, are you originally from Texas or where? Maybe let, Let's start there. Go ahead. Well, I'm originally from Florida. I started teaching back home in Miami uh, before I moved to Texas and uh, started teaching here in the state of Texas. Okay. And uh, how many members in the Texas AFT? We have about 66,000 members in Texas AFT, our active and retired members across the state. And how long have you been president now, Zeph? It's been a little over four years now. Okay. Well, you're you're used to working in very difficult environments then. If you worked in Florida and you went over to Texas, both the right-to-work states, unions not all that friendly in those two states, and uh, you've got a legislature here that I guess, like, like many states, they like vouchers. We're seeing more vouchers and uh, public funding is an issue, but let's start with the vouchers here. Now, we have a session, a legislative session that's underway. Why don't you brief me where we stand? What's the issue right now, Zeph? Go ahead. Yeah, we, we, we've had our governor who has really been on a, uh, a, a, a political tirade to get some type of voucher legislation passed because he feels left out. All of his other right-wing governors have uh, done this in their states, and, and he wants to take Texas down that same wrong road. And uh, unfortunately, our Senate is going along with him. They've passed a, their version of a voucher bill out of the Senate. Uh, looks like they're going to pass that and maybe a couple of other things and gavel out for a while. Uh, our House has not met on this particular issue yet. Um, there's a, a lot of division, um, particularly among our House members, on whether this is the best way to go. And we hope to make sure that they uh, see the light and stay in the right direction and keep vouchers out of the state of Texas. And what vouchers essentially do, they take public money and they use it in private institutions or charter schools. And it's been going on for quite some time. Um, but how serious is it over there? How, how many, I mean, they started vouchers when? Maybe you can give us a little history here. And where they want to go with that? I mean, do they want to suck up all those public education dollars or what? Yeah, they, so vouchers have been around in some form for probably two to three decades now. 
Uh, I believe they actually started out in uh, Milwaukee uh, and and have been used in isolated means across different programs. But today, in particular, in a lot of our Republican states, uh, I believe they really see it as a uh, as a backdoor tax break, particularly for the wealthy and particularly for those that already send their kids to private school. Uh, so there's an attempt now to pass universal vouchers. They want anybody, regardless of income, to be able to get one, uh, any family background of student to be able to qualify for one. And and that money, uh, right now in Texas, um, the voucher that is proposed by the Senate would take $8,000 per student um, out of the system and transfer it to an unaccountable uh, private school system, whether that's a particular school, it could be a corporate uh, management organization, it could be a small religious nonprofit um, uh, run school, uh, it could be a school that is simply opening its doors because it sees the opportunity for grift uh, as, as the states are passing more vouchers. We saw that initially when charter schools came in, and we know that that's going to be a problem if vouchers become an issue in the state of Texas as well. So that $8,000 per student, if they get their way, and hopefully they won't, what will, what will that do to public education in the state of Texas? Well, it has a tremendous impact. First, it's $8,000 that would actually leave the the system and move to an outside system, but then the student, assuming a student left the public school uh, and it wasn't one that was already in uh, private school, an additional $10,000 would leave that particular school system or that school campus. So you, you have a multiplier effect there that, that will dramatically impact how local campus principals are able to run their schools the types of programs that they're able to continue offering to the students that remain uh, because the the students aren't going to leave if they leave uh, all out of one classroom or all out of one school. What we will see is, you know, one student out of a grade level here in one school or another grade level and then at the elementary school next door we may have one or two leaving. But all of those expenses um, that that were left behind will still have to be absorbed by the rest of the students in that school, which means ultimately that uh, we're going to have a, a tighter program because we're going to have to spend more per student on the teacher, on the uh, cost of the building, on the uh, cost to run the actual day-to-day -day operation of the school, which means that there's going to be less money for the types of programs that our families and our students um, really need to be successful. Um, this is going to cut into things like our after-school programs. It's going to cut into the things that kids actually want to come to school for. It means probably less money for band instruments, less money um, for the uh, extracurricular programs. It's going to mean less money for some of these shining star programs that public schools are known for, such as career and technical education, because those programs are very expensive to run. And the last programs that are going to be cut by public schools are, are the test prep programs, because that's how the schools are judged. 
and unfortunately, uh, it's 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 going to be a multiplier effect that really spirals our schools in the wrong direction. Zeph, you did a great job painting this picture of what would happen if the legislature goes down that road. I can only assume that you testified. What you just told me, you testified in uh, the state capitol, what is it, Austin, when they had hearings on all this? Um, That's what right. Was the re- um, what was the reaction? What, what, when you said what you just told me, what was the reaction from the people that want to do this kind of thing? Well, usually when they send me to testify on the, on, on the Hill, it's in front of the Senate, and the, the Senate is such a um, difficult place to be able to move anything that actually is uh, what our constituents care about. Um, the Senate has, for the lack of a better word, been bought and paid for by a couple of really rich billionaires in the state of Texas. We just had a major story about that uh, in relation to the uh, Paxton impeachment trials that came out recently. Uh, but those those funders who are behind the players, the major players in our Senate, are are the ones that are behind this voucher scheme that they want to pass because they they really want to see a religious-based system uh, that educates our kids in the state of Texas. And so they're pretty immovable in the Senate. Uh, They were rather stoic whenever I testified in front of them. Luckily, however, we have our stars that come out and testify in the House where they still actually do listen to our constituents more. And our stars are our teachers that are in the classroom, our bus drivers that are getting kids to school every day, our food service workers that are making sure that they are properly fed both in at lunchtime and more and more today, particularly in our urban schools and our schools that, uh, that focus on working class families are feeding breakfast and in the evenings as well too. So we, we have the people that are doing the work day-to-day coming out and talking to our legislature, uh, talking to the, the members of the House, making sure that, and that they are reminded each and every day of what the potential danger could be, not only to uh, our workers' jobs, but to the families, to the kids that they're supposed to represent uh, in the House. Zef Capo joining us on our live line today. He serves as president of the Texas American Federation of Teachers, 66,000 strong. That's including retired members. TexasAFT.org. We'll continue the conversation with him. This is a big fight, big fight going on. Hopefully they can get through to the House. Later in the show, we're going to go to the state of Maine and check in with Danny Loudermilk. Danny serves as business rep with District Lodge 4, of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to the state of Texas right now and rejoin Zef Capo. Zef is the president of the Texas AFT. TexasAFT.org is their website. He's got a huge fight on his hands, along with all in the American Federation of Teachers. I mean, this happens all across the country here. Vouchers, vouchers, vouchers are seeing this big push. You were telling me in the first segment here that, um, and their income guidelines, there used to be income guidelines. Let, let's start there first. But they want to expand it so people that can afford private education are going to use public money to send their child to school. Um, what, what are the guidelines or what are the, how they want to change those guidelines? Can you uh, explain that part first, Jeff? Sure. You know, we, we started off with vouchers that were supposed to be targeted to low income students that were supposedly, uh, caught in failing schools and and what we found that that was just subterfuge that was just the camel's nose under the tent to really get to where they wanted to be which is basically universal vouchers which is a backdoor tax break for the wealthy and and we see that uh being played out um on a large scale in the state of arizona where you have individuals families that were figuring out what to do with the extra dollars they receive from the vouchers uh, and they end up using it to, you know, take their kids to Disney World, where Disney World can babysit them uh, for a couple of days while, you know, moms have a nice relaxing uh, vacation time. Uh, you, you, see, you see cases where people are trying to withdraw the dollars from these uh, voucher savings accounts like they're a regular ATM. They're buying big screen TVs with them. They're they're complete waste of money, and it's it's a slap in the face to teachers who regularly uh, are documented on the average to spend five hundred dollars a year out of their own pocket just to make sure our kids have paper and pencil and the things that they need to do to be successful. So this money, then you you mentioned the wealthy here, and their choice could be a a very good private school or a religious school. I have this question here. If it's going to be a religious school, 
And if parents want to send their kid to a religious school, fine. You just use your own money to do that. I mean, I, I get that. But whatever happened to the separation of church and state, I, I thought you're not supposed to go down that road. What's, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, unfortunately, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, seems to be happening to that division uh, between the separation of church and state. Um, we, we haven't quite gotten the ruling that, um, that would take down that divide right now, but again, the Billionaire Boys Club in the state of Texas are hell-bent on trying to get some type of law passed because I think they really want to test it. They want to test that separation and see where things are. And they don't care what kind of devastation it may have for our families here in Texas or for the majority of Texans that depend, depend on, not only on our public schools, but depend on uh, healthy public school programs. They depend on Friday night lights to be, um, to be the uh, opportunities that get scholarships for them to go to college. They depend on career and technical uh, programs that help them get the skills to be able to enter a high wage job after high school to be able to take care of their families. Um, that those are the kind of things that are uh, at stake for for working class people in in the state of Texas because very wealthy people uh, are looking at tax breaks and looking at playing political games, um, you know, with the legislation that's that's passing through. And I think that that's part of what this would be if it were to pass is is one of those test cases that they want to put in front of the Supreme Court so that they can leave their mark on twisting our Constitution. Okay, let's talk about uh, accountability here. And um, I have seen a number of charter schools. There was one some years ago in Cincinnati, Ohio, that was raided by the FBI because they were so corrupt. There are many that are not very good, but they're still getting public money. And uh, I was reading earlier about uh, about what's going on in the state of Texas. You said that many of these that have like certain charter schools, they they uh, they're they're scams. They're actual scams, and uh, they're not they're not really teaching kids. I would imagine you have a couple of, of examples down in the state of Texas. And my question is, <laughs> if they claim public schools are failing, why aren't they looking into charter schools? that are failing? Well, that's exactly the same question that we have, and it's the same question that uh, ProPublica and the Texas Tribune have had as well, too, recently, uh, of our commissioner. Um, our commissioner took over our largest public school district based on the perceived failure of one school, despite the fact that that school had received a uh, passing grade before the state took over the district. All at the same time, he has consistently waived rules around accountability for charter school systems. Charter school systems that weren't meeting the grade to be expanded. They, they had too many failing schools, and they wouldn't have by rule qualified to be able to expand. He's had no problem uh, in the tens of cases, um, which have resulted in hundreds of new schools being opened waiving those rules for failing charter schools because they're part of the privatization movement. People are making money off the backs of our kids, and that's what's important. And, and accountability, unfortunately, is one of, those, um, measure, uh, one of those measures of subterfuge that we were talking about earlier. Uh, it is a way to 
starve, shame, and shutter public schools uh, to take dollars that are dependent upon, uh, that are intended to help public schools, families, working class folks get ahead in life and turn them into dollars that can be boiled down to the profit line. And unfortunately, um, you know, we're going down that same road that, that healthcare went uh, just a few decades ago in education because education is one of the major main public dollar centers left that haven't been completely exploited um, by private institutions, by the profit motive. And unfortunately, I think that if we, if something doesn't change, if we don't uh, really have a new picture around um, having true accountability for everyone and, and everyone having to play by the same rules, then, then I think we're going to continue to go down that road that gives favor to those that extract dollars out for, mm-hmm. for uh, you know, uh, for profit. And, and they're doing it on the backs of kids and on the backs of families. Yeah. Privatize everything. Privatize everything. There's a group that believes that 100%, and it's very sad. Um, yep. Funding. One more one more topic here. Where, where do we stand on funding? Because I know uh, in the state of Ohio, you heard me mention Melissa Cropper. We're going to talk to her tomorrow about that because, you know, the, when it comes to public education, they always seem to find some cuts. But vouchers, different story there. Um, wh- where do we stand in Texas with this? Well, funding in the state of Texas is not an issue. It's a matter of the will. We have a lack of will. Texas is, what, the ninth largest economy in the world. If we were our own country, we would be in the top ten for sure as the largest economies in the world. Yet we can't seem to find the will uh, to even be middle of the pack in in funding, um, you know, across the 50 states. Um, and when when we're looked at, when the um, when those that kind of look at these numbers, they they take a hard look at all of the states. When it comes to um, our, our our funding opportunity or the, our ability to be able to, to fund public schools, state of Texas constantly gets an F. Um, as a matter of fact, this last session, because they tied funding directly to vouchers because they tied teacher raises directly to vouchers and our members consistently told us that they were not interested in the Faustian deal no funding um, new funding came into our public schools billions of dollars sat there unspent because our legislature was so hard-nosed on this particular issue that if they didn't get their way if they didn't get their private schools um, Uh, that they were going to starve the public schools quite literally. And they're still trying to do that. The funding bill that they did pass in the Senate is tied to the voucher bill that they passed. They expect uh, if one gets passed, then the other has to come along. Uh, And that's the the, um, tool that they've been using and been holding over the heads of all of our schools and, and our legislators in the House that they won't give one additional penny to our public schools if they don't get their voucher scheme. And, and what they put forward right now uh, would, be, would be welcome. We, it's something that we would need, but it's crumbs when you compare it to where vouchers could go if we go the same direction as the state of Arizona. 
So they're essentially holding public education hostage in in the state of Texas. Can I can I say that safely? Is that is that pretty much the case? That is absolutely the case. They are holding um, public schools and the funding desperately needed for these schools because we have not had an increase since 2019, despite uh, uh, you know record inflation. Um, they are holding that funding hostage to get what they want. All right, Zeph, we're going to wrap it up on that note. Um, we got a pretty good audience here on America's workforce. Um, should I just drive people to the texasaft.org for support? Is that the best advice to listeners right now? That's right. We would appreciate it if they would go to our website, take a look at our action center, see how they might be able to help out and anybody that they know in the state of Texas push them to send a letter or do a click to call to their uh, legislature in the House. That would be a tremendous help. All right. Zef Capo, president of the Texas AFT, that website again, texasaft.org. You got a friend here on America's Workforce. Stay in touch with us on this issue. Okay, brother? Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the state of Maine, check in with Danny Loudermilk, who's the business rep for the Machinist District Lodge 4. they got a strike going on. He's going to tell us all about it next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, 
This next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Before we get to our next guest who comes to us, from the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, we got some machinist news. After nearly eight years leading the union, two decades on the executive council, and more than 43 years of membership, IAM International President Robert Martinez Jr. has announced that he will retire. This will be effective at the end of the year, actually January 1, 2024. And the uh, current vice president, Brian Bryant, will succeed Mr. Martinez as the IAM's next international president. A little background on Brian. He's a native of Maine, and uh, he's been advocating for the rights and welfare of workers with unwavering commitment. 34 years, member of the machinists, and he started as a pipe fitter and became an integral park in local S6 at Bath Ironworks, which, ironically, is where... Our next guest worked in 1987. That would be Danny Loudermilk. Danny is a business rep for District Lodge 4. And uh, right now, he's got a strike to talk about. Danny, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today, brother. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, one of our regulars here on the show, you got to know this guy, Tommy Buffenbarger. In fact, uh, 50 years as a machinist. He retired like six, seven years ago. You know, uh, you know Tommy pretty well? I do know Tom. When, when I became uh, a machinist and actually the president of my local lodge, I went to a lot of areas and uh, different conventions and stuff, and Tom was always there with a handshake and a smile and welcoming all of us there. So I got to know Tom really well. Good, good guy. Well, talk to me about what's going on here. I guess this is a a wood pulp manufacturing facility, and uh, I was following what's been going on here. Apparently, this is a company that, uh, well, they they refuse to bargain. They want to change some of the work rules. So as a result, you got a strike going on. Give me the details. Go ahead. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, it's it's called a wood uh, woodland pulp LLC. They're in a small town called Baileyville, Maine, in Washington County. And we started negotiations. We were two weeks into it. And the company said, hey, we have this new concept for you. The concept was to uh, just make everybody a general mechanic. So keep in mind, you have some very skilled craftsmen here in this mill. They're very proud. And the idea of, and some of them even have been doing this for up to 20 years, so the idea of telling them you're no longer going to be a craftsman, you're going to be a general mechanic and learn everything and anything is really upsetting to them. So, so it sounds like they want to lower the pay by, by doing that kind of thing. Is, is, is that correct? Well, they don't want to lower the pay. As a matter of fact, they came out bragging that some mechanics could see as high as a $6 an hour increase. But what they're not saying is that from what the mechanics are making today, to the top tier of that of their so-called concept is a six dollar increase but some of these mechanics will never see that so their promise or their comment of uh, some mechanics seeing six dollar increase is not factual and they can't actually uh, commit to who would be you know who would receive the six dollar increase so they have a plan that's 60 percent complete <clears throat> People may not see any increases for the entire three years of the contract. 
Is this pretty much their strategy then by just saying everybody's going to be a general mechanic? And like, what are the classifications now? Can you, can you get into that? Sure. You have, you have pipe fitters. Uh, you, there's one diesel mechanic in the, in the shop. There's more than one diesel mechanic. There's like four of them, but one of them is probably one of the best diesel mechanics in the state. He's had all kinds of training. He, he lives for being a mechanic. And he's being told now, yeah, you could be a vibration specialist. You could be uh, a pipe fitter. <clears throat> but you have pipe fitters, you have welders, you have people that run the boiler plant for the, for the mill. Uh, you have people that run and uh, work on what's called a pulp dryer. And there's really one mechanic who knows the in and outs of that pulp dryer who is out on the street with us this morning. All right. So how many, how many strikers right now? And I, I was reading that millwrights and oilers and steam and water plant operators, they, are they joining you as well? Yep. So we have the machinist union, which is a local lodge 1490. There's approximately 21 of them. There is uh, the SEIU local lodge 330-3. <clears throat> And there's approximately 58, maybe even 60 of those. So they're out here this morning. And the last group in the mill right now is the millwright, Local Lodge 1121. Uh, due to their constitution and the timing of their letter to the company telling them they were going on strike, unfortunately, they can't be out with us now until the week of the 20th. Although some members have taken vacation and have decided to join us on the picket line. Okay. All right. So is the company operating still? And are, are, what do they, have you gone through this kind of thing before? Do they bring scabs in to, to keep everything going or what? Well, uh, as far as permanent replacement workers, uh, we have unfair labor practice charges that we had to file against the company because they wouldn't release the financials to their so-called concept. So we have that charge. We have another charge uh, that we filed with the NLR, NLRB, so uh, they, they're not supposed to legally hire permanent replacement workers. Our guess is they're going to bring uh, outsourced labor into the mill, and that's how they're going to operate. Danny, what about the profitability of that plant? I, I often hear, especially when it comes to strikes, either the CEO, the company's very profitable, they just want to make more profits on the backs of workers. Is that pretty much the case at, the, at this facility? It is. And, you know, in negotiations, this company kept trying to tell us how important it is for the workers to come in when they're called, even if they're on vacation, even if they're on their own time, even if it's a weekend and they could be out on the lake in their boat, super important for them to be on the job. But this company, Vice President Marty Richards, thought it was more important for him to take vacation instead of meeting with the union to avert a strike. So as far as talks go, do we have anything planned right now? And, and, and if the, you know, strikes usually get noticed. <laughs> I mean, look at the UAW strike right now. The big three don't even know where to start. But I'm just wondering, what are you hearing as far as that's concerned? Uh, so the company told us that, first of all, they want an extension. And that's, that's the way paper mills work. They want to keep kicking this can down the road. And they, most unions say, yes, we'll do it. Uh, unfortunately for this company, the machinist union does not kick the can down the road. When we take a vote to strike, when we take a vote to reject, we go out on strike. 
and our members are following. Uh, they want to be out on strike. but So we've been telling the company we'll negotiate any time, uh, any place. The strike isn't going to stop us from negotiating. And they said, well, the earliest they can negotiate with us is November the 8th. Uh, funny thing is, in a, in a conference call we had with the company on, uh, I, I believe it was the 12th, they said that if we agreed to extend the contract, they could meet with us sooner. So this is just the game for them. It's, it's a yeah. strategy to keep us out on the street. The game they're playing with workers and their lives and their families. Very sad, very sad here. What about uh, community support here? Typically when you have a strike like that, you got, try to engage those in the community and say, hey, do the right thing here. I, I know you just went on strike this weekend. Uh, is any of that happening or is, will it happen? We've, we've reached out. Uh, and, and keep in mind, this is a small community, but sure. we've reached out to some to some organizations like there's a local oil dealership who has offered discounts to any striking member. Uh, so, yeah, support's coming in. And, again, it's a small community, so they're, they're very tight. We're getting all kinds of horns as uh, people are driving by the picket line. Mm-hmm. All right, Danny, really good. Well, thank you for joining us here on America's Workforce. Is there anything else you want to call attention to before we button it up? I mean, we, you know, this show is Monday through Friday. We, it's an open forum for, for all union brothers and sisters here to get the message out. And when that message gets out, you know, things happen. Um, just wondering if, the, if there's anything you'd like to say to button this up. We are committed to negotiate with this company anytime, regardless of the games they're playing. Uh, they're playing games with proud craftsmen, people that have been doing this for up to 20 years, and they are just not having it. So uh, we appreciate everybody's support, and thank you for having us on the show. You got it. Danny Loudermilk, who is a business rep for District Lodge 4, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, that would be Local 1490, on strike today at Woodland Pulp. You stay safe, stay in touch, okay, brother? Thank you. We appreciate your time. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce tomorrow, the Ohio Federation of Teachers. That and more. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.